Hi there, I'm Dave Levine. Thanks for joining me for episode 42 of the Sports Stories podcast. This is series five now, and we've had many, many guests from a range of different sports join me to go through their sports stories, hearing their life stories and their sporting career journeys as well. Last week, we had Ebony Usaro Brown, team bath netballer, solicitor, Sky Sports pundit, mum, wife. She did amazing amounts of things and gave us a real great insight into performance sport. Well, today's guest is a very similar story, but also different in many ways. Today's guest has also uh, uh, had a career in professional sport, but is further along in their journey. They've transitioned from professional sports person into now being a business owner. My guest is also the, the, the tallest person that I know, um, and has also got a great passion for helping develop people and organizations. Feedback from previous episodes has been fantastic, and I've really loved hearing the, uh, the stories that has made a real impact for you, the listener, and also how you've really valued the, the connections we've made back from previous people's life stories, their origin stories, right through to how that's impacted on their businesses, their careers, and their families. And today, we wish to do that even more so, where I'm sure um, my guest will make great connections given his passion for people development and also his passion for performance environments and performance sport. Now, today's guest, I'd like to welcome Will Jefferson. Will has played professional cricket over many, many years, a uh, real interest in many sports. Will is really tall, as I mentioned, uh, and we'd love to dive into seeing how this has really impacted on his, his life and his career. So as I would say, find your place where you listen to your podcast, whether it's on your bike, whether it's going for a walk, or whether it's just taking some quiet time. You really deserve to invest this valuable hour or so for you and your development. So sit back, enjoy, Grab a pen if you're not on a bike or you're not out on a walk and take some notes because I'm pretty clear that there'll be some real great gems for you to take away in terms of how Will's environment and his story can really transition back across to you and offer you some great insights and tips. So all it really leaves me to say is, is to give a very, very warm welcome to today's special guest, former professional cricketer and now business owner, Mr. Will Jefferson. Will, it's really great to have you with me on the Sports Stories podcast. I'm, I'm really excited to, to talk to you. You know, I appreciate um, you know this. I've had a number of other guests on the, on the podcast from a cricketing background, but yours has really transitioned right through cricket into being a, a, a business owner, you know, and you've explored so many other avenues. So before we get to all of that sort of stuff, it'd be great for you just to give a bit of an introduction to yourself. And also, how, how did you get into sport at an early stage what was your family involvement so over to you Will. Yeah thanks Dave thanks very much for having me on uh, the podcast as well I'm a big fan I've listened to four or five now <laughs> so uh, yeah I've really enjoyed the interviews you've done and, and thank you for today really looking forward to this conversation that we're going to have um, yeah sport played an enormous part of my sort of upbringing and my early years um, it wasn't just cricket obviously I, I ended up having a career in cricket, but actually I loved all sports. I, I played a lot of different sports when I was younger, almost um, every sport under the sun, I think, and, and particularly ball sports was something that stood out, I think, um, reflecting sort of coming into the day. Um, anything that I could have a racket or a bat um, or, or sort of something in my hand to be hitting a ball or bouncing a ball back, um, that was something that particularly sort of grabbed me, I guess. It really started to fascinate me and I guess it was that sort of the, the pure joy and, and interest in, in what it was about, what it was creating for me, what I was starting to learn sort of through the joy that I was experiencing that just um, meant I did spend hours and hours and hours um, sort of playing sports um, throughout my childhood. And, and we were a very sporty family as well. 
Um, I'm the youngest of four. I've got two elder sisters and a brother. Um, we used to all play a lot of tennis together. Um, we used to watch sport, obviously, on the television. Um, but sport was really sort of something, sport and height, actually, being six okay. foot ten, my brother, brother and sisters were tall as well. I think it was something that I remembered from my sort of earlier days. Sport and height were two things that sort of stood out for us as a family. Wow. Sport and height. Uh, and I can also really parallel. I'm the youngest of four as well. So there you go. We've got something in common there. I'm not sure. Sure. I'm, I'm six foot ten. So I haven't got that kind of uh, comparison there. But tell me a little bit more than, you know, um, you say sport and, and height. How, how did they play out in the family? You know, how, how did you interact with your brothers and sisters? And what, what were those experiences like for you? Um, they're quite a bit older than I was. So there's a seven year gap up to my next sister, um, nearly 10 up to my brother and, and over 13 up to my next sister. I guess when I was younger, I was probably watching and observing them play a lot of sport. And, and that's possibly where some of my learning was happening, um, especially on the tennis court. I think that in particular was something that we, it was a very social activity. We used to sort of spend time with other families in the area and, and tennis was something that we would be basing sort of a day around or an afternoon around. Um, so the fact they were quite a bit older, I was probably picking up little cues and tips and things from watching them in action. And they all bought their different sort of skills and flares, flair to the game. Um, so that particularly was something that probably stood out from my, my younger years. My father had played cricket as well okay. um, for Surrey in the early 1960s. Um, so that was always something that um, was going to come up, I guess. And and thankfully, he didn't um, push me too hard with my cricket, but he certainly was um, my sort of inspiration growing up and, and sort of stepped in as and when he, uh, he could, I guess, because he didn't force anything on me early. As I said, it was all sports that I was interested in. Um, and yeah, I think that's, that's some of my earliest memories. So when you say um, he didn't step in or, you know, how, how did that pan out your early sporting experiences you know you, you said you played all sports was that through to what sort of age or what sort of um what sort of a level did you play at um well particularly I guess sort of golf um tennis hockey at school um I was still playing a lot of hockey through to the age of about 16 or 17 okay. again I'd grown so much um the floor was getting further and further away from from my hands and my head so um, hockey was something that fell away, uh, I think, when I was about 17, 18 years old. But I turned my hand to anything, to be honest. I played squash for a year when I had to give up uh, hockey. Um, I played a sport at school as well called fives and um, rugby fives, which was quite a, an unusual sport. You had a glove on both hands. But I played that for four years. And in terms of reflexes, in terms of um, sort of getting around the court, obviously, a little similar to squash in terms of the angles and I'd play that for hours and hours and hours. And I traveled a lot with the school and played a number of competitions. Um, and again, that was something that my father had played um, in his younger days as well. So I think that had been sort of passed down to me. Um, but certainly golf as well. I was playing golf um, quite a lot through my professional cricketing career. It was one of the perks, I guess, of, of being a professional sports person is you have quite a bit of time on your hands and, and time off during the week. And um, golf and cricket do sort of go hand in hand. There was an opportunity to play on some nice courses in the counties that I um, was representing at the time. And actually across all three counties I played for, Essex, Nottinghamshire and Leicestershire, had many hours on the golf course um, during the winters and also during the summers sometimes just to unwind, just to get away 
from the pressures of the game. And I was down to a 12 handicap for a number of years, um, probably over a sort of eight or 10 year period. Um, so that was something, um, uh, being a member of a golf club up where we grew up, I um, remember playing a lot of golf with my father as well. Um, so again, it, it was lots of sports often, I would say, across my sort of teens and 20s. Well, a couple of times you mentioned, and I'm going to sort of dive straight in here, you know, you mentioned about your height and growth and stuff through those early sort of early years. And I say early years in through your sort of your teenage years and so on. Um, how was that and how did that play out for you? You know, how did you manage it? Because clearly, you know, height can be an advantage, but it sounded like, you know, you are a tall chap, aren't you? So how, how did that help and hinder you? Yeah, it definitely did both. Um, I think I was very sort of lucky and, and blessed, I guess, to have good hand-eye coordination. Yeah. So hitting a hockey ball or hitting a golf ball, it would quite often go quite a long way yeah. or go quite hard, <laughs> um, but not necessarily always in the right direction. And so my levers were, were a huge advantage, a huge yeah. benefit. Um, but as you said, I was, I was growing at such a rate. I think when I left school, I was six foot eight. Um, I played a game for the, the cricket team, the first 11 cricket team, when I was um, 13 and a half, 14 years old. And I was the tallest boy in the team. So I was taller than the, the 17 and 18 year olds um, at the time. And I think it was something, excuse the pun, that I sort of had to take in my strides. Um, but I was playing a lot of different sports. And I think um, the exercise was obviously great for me. I was, I was picking up little niggles and in, in, yeah. injuries, which I think you do, and you play for hours and hours on end. Um, but I think that was, that was also part of um, dealing with that, sort of dealing with the emotions of, of injuries and dealing with um, the recovery side of things as well. I did become very interested in sort of nutrition and diet and recovery and all those sort of things that I think to get to the top level, you start to realize that that sort of self-management, self-regulation is, is very important in terms of if you're wanting to keep pushing the bar and, and keep sort of your levels of performance going up and up. Um, but you're right, the, the, the pros and the cons um, sort of did did manifest themselves um, and that's something that I was aware of and I guess had to deal with and manage as I grew up. And did you, did you deal with it, manage it on your own or were they people in your environment quite um, aware? Because look, you're ex you were extraordinarily tall at a very young age and I guess managing that, you know, and, and a number of the listeners will be working in kind of coaching or people development environments with younger people and, you know, it's quite a sensitive subject, isn't it? How do we manage talent through that developmental age you know and mm. how you were managed I'm really kind of well I wonder how that was because mismanaged could have been quite a challenge I guess yeah I'm laughing because I I, I played sort of men's cricket when I was um, 15 16 years old and I was in the sort of club first team um, that I played at near Norwich up in Norfolk and I think there was a comment of sort of seeing me field it was like watching Bambi on ice um, because it was sort of all legs and arms and not necessarily going in the right direction at the right time. Yeah. Um, I guess whether there was a, a sort of subconscious um, sensitivity towards that there might well have been as I was growing up. Um, I certainly had to um, sort of become comfortable in my own skin, I guess, in terms of standing out from the crowds. Um, and I really did, obviously being this tall, there was a evolution of sorts that I had to go through, realizing that when you walk into a room or when you appear somewhere, that actually, you know, I, I did draw attention to myself 
um, just by being the, the sort of the size and the height I am. And that was something that probably did actually take me many, many years to come to grips with and to understand and um, to realize that I should be using um, to sort of one of my great advantages. Um, I did work with a coach um, during a festival, actually, when I was playing sort of under 17 cricket. Um, and he then worked with me later in my career when I was 28 or 29. Um, so I think he certainly um, probably understood having seen me as a 17, 18 year old. His name was Tim Boone. He was coaching in Norfolk at the time. He was a professional cricketer himself at Leicestershire. And he was the Leicestershire head coach who then um, worked with me for a few years at the back end of my career. And actually just reflecting, reflecting during this conversation, he probably, from spending that time with me as a teenager, probably understood a few things about me that he could then draw on in terms of his experience as a coach um, when we did sort of come back together again. And there's no doubt that he wanted me to celebrate my height and maximize my levers and really help me realize the potential that I had sort of for hitting a cricket ball, I guess. And, and I'm very thankful for him for the the way that he was um, able to help me in the, in the latter stages of my career and actually making that connection now, the fact we'd worked together for a few weeks when I was a teenager, I'm sure there was, there was a connection there that was very important. And do you think looking back at that relationship that Tim Boone would have, would have known what he was doing with you in the early stages or was it the fact that he'd grown as well and also came back to you at a later stage in your career that it actually came together? He had a greater value I think knowing Tim as I as I do, I think he absolutely would have grown sort of as a person and as a coach over that time. Um, but I, I would be pretty sure that that experience that we'd had working together all those years ago would have given him an insight into me as a person and, and sort of as a character as well, in terms of what, what might have been required, um, I guess, to get the best out of me. So this isn't a connection I've given a huge amount of time or thought to, but actually the fact that we worked together when I was 17 and then again um, when I was uh, 28 or 29. Um, I mean, I, I remember in that festival, I got out the first ball of a match in one of the games. It was a no ball, so I yeah. didn't have to go anywhere. <laughs> went and, out. I, and I went on to get 100. So um, thanks to Tim, he was obviously allowing me to sort of express myself and, and sort of reach my ability even during those early years as well. And when you, and when you say um, celebrate your levers and your height and, you know, the, the attributes you've got, what, what, what does that mean to you and how did they help you do that? Because, again, I'm, I'm just connecting with many of the people that we've had on the podcast in terms of, you know, focusing on what the attributes you have and the strengths of you that you have and actually really using them to your advantage and for me you just present such a, a vivid and also such a great uh, example of that so I'm just wondering how did that work for you? Well I think at, at times in the uh, intervening periods there were probably um, quite a few occasions I know there were where I got quite sort of tangled up in my, my thinking and my approach um, getting the best out of myself understanding what it sort of took to go out and, and enjoy and just sort of love the game for what it was and, and just sort of express myself and back my talent. And I think that there was certainly um, a period at the very back end of my career where I was able to reconnect with that love of the game and I guess sort of really strip it back to the basics. Um, and the basics were for me were using my height, were um, being a, a sort of clean timer of the ball 
um, more than anything. So if anything, over the years, I think there were some elements of uh, my mental approach and the sort of psychology, which had um, been my undoing, I guess, at various times. And actually, it was that ability to um, have clarity, to really strip away everything that wasn't important and really sort of come back to controlling what I could control that would then allow me just to express my talent and allow my gifts to sort of um, come across in, in the best way possible. Um, this might sound like a strange question, but do you think as you went through your career then, do you think um, you and your height and your attributes got in your way? Or do you feel that it was actually the sport and, you know, you progressing through the sport was the challenge and that got in your way? I think sort of progressing through the sport, I and I can use Alistair Cook as a bit of an example because I played with him in his early years. Every level that he um, arrived at, he sort of he started to excel almost immediately. And I only make the link because in, in club cricket, when I was obviously very young, mm. I was able to adapt and, and sort of step up to that level. Um, saying that, I'd had some experiences as a 15, 16-year-old at school where I'd really not done very well and not performed particularly well. But I'd shown, I guess, a, a curiosity in those early years to actually go to the coaches and ask them questions about what it was I needed to do to improve or to, to get better. Um, one sort of quite harrowing example would be we, I was very fortunate to be sent on a cricket tour to South Africa um, it was in December, so it was baking hot over there, obviously leaving the English winter. Um, I was a couple of years young for the school team, and I came back having hardly scored a run in the couple of weeks we were out there. You know, it really was not a, not a, a, a sort of good tour by any means for me, sort of with the bat in hands. But my coach said that um, when I came back to school in January, I was, I think, one of the only players to come to him to, and sort of say to him or ask him, how do I play the shorter ball when it bounces a bit higher? You know, what do I need to do to learn to cut the ball or pull the ball? So I was showing a, a very inquisitive mind, I think, a, a curiosity and a willingness to start to work at my game and improve my game. And I think that that allowed me to then be ready for some of these tougher challenges when they came around. So playing against men when I was 15, 16, 17 years old. Um, and I was fortunate that I played with Alistair Cook at the very start of his career. And he came into the second team and scored a, a load of runs. I think he then scored five fifties in his first seven innings in first class cricket. So he immediately um, sort of took to that new level. And we all know the rest is history in terms of his successful England career. But he did, I think, also score a, a Test Match 100 on debut as well. So that ability to be ready for the next level up and to have, you know, factored that into your planning, your preparation, um, the, the questions you will have asked the coaches to help you be ready for that level. I think that all does play a very important part. Well, well where does that in inquisitiveness and curiosity come from, though? You know, I'm just really curious again, and this is me trying to sort of mirror it here, but, you know, many of the performers in sport, you know, people like yourself who've been really successful, um, do have that kind of desire to ask questions and learn. But I'm wondering whether that's a, um, a developed sort of attribute or behavior or, you know, what turned it on for you if, if others were looking for that kind of um, insight? Yeah, I mean, I think it was obviously there from a, from a young age because I was only, I think, 16, sort of 15 and a half, 16 at the time. Um, I think for me, 
through those those years particularly and, and now reflecting on them obviously um, as I have done recently it, it's this sort of um, genuine interest in what what do I need to do to get better so this is where I'm at at this particular moment in time what do I need to ask or what do I need to find out or what could I um, think of on my own two feet that's going to take me from where I am now to it being better in the future and I think that's something that I've um, grown and developed and that's given me real sort of energy in recent years um, in what I do now and how I work and that's something that um, really fuels me I think it excites me um, it, it really sort of brings the best out of me and it's something that I've created, a, I guess, a sort of bit of a snowball effect with. But as you said, I think there was something there, obviously, in those early years. Um, I definitely get um, sort of infused by a variety of things and an interest in lots of different things. So not necessarily taking the thinking from quite a, a narrow approach, actually being able to look outside um, and not be afraid to find or look for ideas or things that might work from outside the familiar um, to what you're sort of currently involved in. Um, so that's something I think that I've, I've grown and developed over time, but there was a seed there obviously to start with as well. Yeah, and you really make me reflect, I guess, on the idea though, is sometimes that, you know, in performance environments, we have to show that we are in control and good and actually know what we're doing. And therefore that the principle that actually might hinder us from asking and being curious. You know, and I, I remember being brought up as a younger, at a younger age and recognizing or thinking, you know, asking questions just wasn't the done thing. And yet you're now telling me that actually what I did is ask loads of questions because I wanted to get better. And I just love the principle of actually being curious and asking questions is, is used as a performance um, attribute really, wasn't it? It really drove you on and helped you get better. Yeah, I think there was, there's the element of asking questions, but I certainly had a number of mentors that came into my life in those late teens and early 20s as well. And though that, those mentoring relationships, I think, are something that that's where um, they have some expertise or they have an outlook on life that I think really started to inform me and my thinking as well. Um, and one gentleman in particular, he was a, a cricket coach at school when I was there. He was, he's a South African guy and I'd, um, I wouldn't have remembered probably meeting him when I was on the tour a few years previously but I ended up going to South Africa um, between school and university. Um, and one of the, the lines or phrases that he shared with me has stuck with me ever since. His name was Merv Hines, and the line was attitude is everything. Um, and to me, that's, it's nice and simple. Um, it's something that I will have recounted thousands and thousands of times over the years. I've seen the impact that saying that line has had in the work that he does um, sort of coaching school children and, and sort of children back in South Africa. And that, I think, you know, hearing that and understanding what that meant in principle as a 17 or 18 year old, I think really did stick with me um, and sort of helped me with regards to my mindset and my outlook and, and the way that it informed my approach to not just my sport, but just sort of my attitude through school and university and probably, um, you know, as much through transition out of sport as well recently and, and now into what I do now in terms of um, building a new career and, and running my own business as well. Well, you, let's use that as a, as a bit of a framework then, that kind of attitude is everything, because I think it's, it's lovely how you've positioned it there for sport and business and life, really. And um, if I just take you back into your cricketing career, 
have you got any examples of, of a time where you were really struggling and how you pulled yourself out of that time? Because again, I'm, a number of listeners listening in will be going, you know, gosh, it sounds like everything's really rosy. And, and I know that actually there's many highs and many lows in a career of, of your making. And I'm just curious as how did you use philosophies or principles similar to that to pull you out of times when you were in a, a struggling place or a down place? Yeah, um, I think one of a difficult period I had in my career, because I had many difficult periods, right. <laughs> um, a difficult period was um, I had an accident with my hands and I managed to sever a tendon in my wrist. Um, and this was about maybe two weeks before the Essex team were going on a pre-season tour to South Africa. Um, so obviously I was feeling pretty sorry for myself. Um, the, I mean, the injury could have been far more serious than it was. It could have actually ended my career um, in terms of what happened. It was a bit of a freak accident. Um, but I would say the fact that the, the professional squad went to South Africa and I was left sort of basically at home on my own in Essex with a very uncertain sort of few months ahead of me, I think the mindset of, um, I guess, sort of regrouping first and foremost in terms of um, realizing what I needed to do to get myself physically back to good shape. There was also the realization that, you know, picking up a cricket bat and playing the game was, was months and months and months away at that point. And I think it was about three months before I was back out there playing. Oh. I think that's where I could probably link the sort of attitude is everything because there were times in my career where, where something was taken away from me. And I mean, sort of through a physical injury or a sort of period of difficulty, I think I was quite quick to start to turn my attention to what I could do or what was possible. So certainly during that period where my wrist was damaged, I would have been thinking, well, how do I get other parts of my body stronger? How can I strengthen my legs? Or how can I run more? Or how can I get a stronger core? Whatever it was at the time. So it was a mindset of realizing what I could do as opposed to what I couldn't do. Um, but again, in that recovery, I remember buying gadgets to get my sort of fingers stronger and my wrist stronger and, and sort of spending every hour in the sun doing everything I could, sort of leaving no stone unturned to get myself back to full fitness. Um, and actually, that's, I think that does relate to the mindset of, you know, get your attitude right and everything else um, sort of will follow. That's what I would read into it, sort of looking back on it now. Wow, it sounds like, again, it's always easier joining the dots up looking back, isn't it? We can't join the dots up looking forward, but we can go in back. And that this sounds like actually, although it was a horrendous accident and potentially, as you say, career limiting, there's quite a lot you took from it or you learnt through uh, about yourself in it. You know, and I'm wondering again, if we were to bounce that onto uh, some more positive instances, how did the um, how did the attitude is everything really play out in some of some of your highlights in your cricketing career? Yeah, I think there's there's a couple that really stand out. One would be um, during a season for Essex, I was fortunate to, we played against Hampshire and at the time they had Shane Warne captaining their team. Um, and I, as you can imagine, prepare, preparing to face someone of um, his calibre and he really was sort of one of the, the best players or spin bowlers that had ever played the game. We went down to the Rose Bowl and, and sort of played him in a, a one-day game to start with. And um, I'd opened the batting and I'd got to 20-odd, I think, and he came on to bowl. And... I basically did play the man and not the ball because I was obviously in awe of him and what he'd achieved, but I wasn't able to 
to block that out fully before I faced him. Um, so when the ball's coming down, I certainly felt this sort of sense of um, relief sort of pass over me, I think, when I, when I got through his first ball, which is completely the wrong way to be thinking, I think, as a batsman. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, that, that um, state then, then meant that I, I was out next ball. He basically got me out second ball. Um, so I trudged off and I'd been done sort of like so many other players had obviously um, sort of been got out by him over the years. Um, but this is where I think linking back into the sort of the attitude is everything. Mm-hmm. I, I had an opportunity to face him a few months later because Essex travelled down um, to play Hampshire again in a four-day game. So you can imagine having lost my w- wicket once to him earlier in the season, the, the opportunity obviously to face him possibly for, for a long time and obviously over a four-day match rather than a one-day match. Um, I remember a few, certainly a few conversations that happened in those intervening months. I was working incredibly hard with the batting coach at the time, Graham Gooch. I'm very thankful to the, the drills that he did and the fitness sort of exercises that he put me through um, and all the hard work that we did um, because that was played such an impact in me getting my game ready to obviously go and face him again. Um, I remember a conversation that stuck out as well with one of the spin bowling coaches at the time, um, Peter Such, who also represented um, England and had a a long and successful career um, for Essex. We were stood in the car park and I genuinely saw this as one of these sort of catalytic moments where that 20 minute conversation, if I then fast forwarded to um, the thinking that I continued to do to get myself ready to um, face Shane Warne again, the things that we touched on in, in that chat, and it must, I think it was again my curiosity to go to him and say, I'm playing a world-class spin bowler here. You know, what are my, what are my options? What scoring shots should I stick to? How should I be aware of how he's trying to get me out? And I just remember Peter Such explaining really clearly and passing on some of his expertise of, well, if he's going to bowl this delivery, which is the the top spinner, let's say, it's going to come down at a flatter trajectory. If he's then going to try and bowl the the big leg spinner, it's going to go a little bit higher in the air. And he's obviously looking to take your edge or or get you sort of stumped or caught behind. If he's going to bowl his googly, his shoulder's going to drop a little bit. His line will come a little bit more outside of stump because he's trying to bring the ball into you to get you bowled through the gate or LBW. And it was such a, a rich conversation. It was such an impactful dialogue that we had that there's no doubt that obviously the hours with Graham Grooch, that conversation as a, a sort of catalytic moment really impacted the performance that I put in. And again, with reflection, it was without doubt one of the sort of proudest days of my, my batting career because I scored 200 runs against Shane Warne um, that day, scored 222 um, and I'll never forget the sort of the moment in the hotel at the end of the day. I think we got back into the car park and my phone rang and, and Graham Gooch was, was on the end of the line. He hadn't been with the team that week. He'd, he'd had to be somewhere else. But the sense, I think, of pride in his voice that all this time we'd put in together, the hours we'd done, um, just to ring and congratulate me, I think, and, and the sort of how grateful I was to, to all the work we'd done together. That was a, a sort of very special moment. Um, but I think the combination of that curiosity, obviously the, the hours and hours of hard work, but then also the, the catalytic conversation of speaking to Peter Such and others really did, you know, equip me to deal with that pressure 
um, an intensity of facing someone of his of his skill levels. Well, what made it a catalytic conversation? You know, because I'm again curious about you know conversations that we have, me and you, or conversations we receive. I wonder what makes them catalytic and what it was that made it like that for you. Well, I think there were obviously you know some components present at that particular moment in time. One was it was a, a sort of deep level of respect for Peter as a as right. a ex-player and as a spin bowling coach um, so the relationship was was very very important um, I think the the ability for me to to highlight the questions that would really make a difference in terms of the responses I could get from him as well um, that was that was crucial I think um, so I've always yeah I think Again, just sort of for me, you know, I could have spoken to a number of batting coaches at the time about my batting or my technique <laughs> or my tactics or my game. But actually just the fact that some of these nuggets were coming, obviously, from a bowling, bowling coach, coach who you wouldn't necessarily have, have maybe thought to go and to go and have a conversation with. Um, so that was something I think that sort of stuck out. Um, and again, I think readying myself for this performance coming up. I'm a genuine believer, and this does play into the work that I do um, through Performance Catalyst, the company that I've, I'm sort of running at the moment, is that it is hard to get clarity all on your own. It's those conversations you have with other people that allow you to start to get that clarity of clarity of mind and to really sort of iron out your thinking to create um, that level of performance as and when it's required. That's brilliant, that, that clarity idea. And, you know, some of, some of what I've just taken from what you've said there is something about the catalytic conversation being quite timely. Um, there's also something for me which, which you've highlighted was sometimes we're best off looking in the, the less obvious places. Because, you know, many people um, would probably go to, you know, that you would have gone to the batting coach. And actually mm. just hearing you say, actually, I didn't go to the batting coach. I went to, the, to a bowling coach is just actually... Um, the, the principle of sometimes looking in places where we might not look might give us the real answers and get that clarity. And I, I really like that principle. Um, and and the, the quality of your questions, again, from what you said there, you know, you had to ask the right questions of Peter to get the answers that you needed to make it um, kind of both credible and actual, actually useful, which is just really such a powerful story. And what a great result at the end of it, I guess. The main thing was that as a team, we, we had a fantastic performance and we won, won the match and, and obviously came out on top. Um, we had some fantastic players in that team as well. So there's no doubt I would have had other conversations with other people. Yeah. Andy Flowers, a teammate at the time, and um, Aftar Babib was in that team, another England player. Um, Darren Goff, I think, as well. So no doubt lots of conversations would have taken sort of taken part. But actually there was just something about what that, conversation that enabled me to sort of factor into to my approach and my strategy for playing him because that was that those sort of nuances I think in those little percentages that you really um yeah as you said you you maybe looking in the most unfamiliar places you might get rewarded the most as a consequence mm. well and you also play for me though the idea of uh, which I what is what I love about cricket is the idea that it's actually a, a both a team sport and an individual sport. And, you know, clearly from, from being out second ball through to go and making a number of runs over a relatively short period of time, there, there's something about the learning and the, um, the adaptations that you've taken on, on board, you know, and actually gone ahead and, and faced into it again. 
you know, and I think there's some real great principles for us all to think about after um, experiencing some some level of failure or, or less success and how do we turn that round? And I just think it's a powerful story. Taking that on then, Will, you know, you, you, you've had a couple of, you know, many highs, many lows within your, your cricketing um, career. And then, you know, how did that all sort of come through to an end? And what was the transition like? Because obviously, you, you know, you've been retired from cricket now for a number of years. But, you know, I speak to a number of people that have been successful in cricket or in a sport. I'm curious to know, what, what was it like transitioning or finishing off in the career that you had? Yeah, I think um, what I'm really thankful for at the end of my career is that um, I really sort of touched some high performance levels again, sort of 12 months out from retiring. And I say that because I'd been through a really difficult period for four or five years um, during my playing career. And part of it was um, re-engaging with Tim Boone, as I spoke about yeah. earlier in the, in the podcast. Um, there was something about just the environment I was in um, within the team I was in that really sort of allowed me to, to feel comfortable and to um, sort of allow me to get back to my best as well. Um, I think there was, there again was a, a sort of period of time where I reconnected with the, the sort of joy and love of the sport as well. And that meant so much to me for that to happen, as opposed to feel that the end of my career had um, been a real struggle and had sort of been, you know, a, a particularly difficult time to look back on. I'm actually really proud of um, the ability to bounce back from some difficult years of, of underperformance and um, not sort of contributing to the teams as much as I would have liked. And actually those final sort of 12 months um, are something, as I said, sort of very pr proud um, reflecting on. The fact we won a trophy was obviously um, a real achievement as well. I think for me, it was consistency around my sort of mental approach as much as anything that I feel the back end of my 20s and early 30s, I'd really started to get a hold on sort of what it took to perform at a high level sort of day in, day out, week in, week out, and to back your, to back your skills, to back your ability. Um, so actually, when the end came, yes, it was, it was um, pretty difficult to take because it was a serious injury. But actually, in this sort of bank of, of um, experience and, and resilience, there was, there was a lot to draw on to get me through that period um, over that time. Um, and I, I think this is probably where, looping back round to what we were talking about at the beginning, my six foot ten body had sort of decided it had enough and serious um, back injuries and back problems and then a, a, a rare sort of hip injury as well basically made me realise that 12, 12 years in the professional game was, was about as much as my body could handle um, at that particular moment in time. And it's, yeah, not a straightforward conversation when you're sat opposite a surgeon and they do say to you, you know, looking at these scans, you will, you'll never run again on this hip. Um, having been, you know, the most, um, I was going to say athletic, but that wouldn't have been the right word, the most sort of enthusiastic and passionate sports person in terms of running after things and chasing balls, you know, all my life since I was five or six years old, to suddenly be told that news um, was, was very, yeah, sort of really life-changing, I guess, from that point of view. Um, so that was, that was then a period of um, sort of, yeah, um, transformation, reinvention, I guess. I sort of look at it in sort of in those early sort of weeks and months. Um, the fact I was on crutches for four months and told not to leave the house for 
more than 15 minutes a day was suddenly, you know, quite a, a handbrake on my desire to want to go out and, and exercise and do things. So I probably started a, a, a sort of reflective period of where, I, where I'd got to with my um, sort of career and life, but also allowed me to start to get a bit of closure, I think, around my cricket career in a really sort of positive and healthy way um, to also allow me and enable me to start to look forward and start to think about um, the sort of future as well. And I wouldn't have said it was a, a sort of quick process because I don't think coming out of sport is a quick process when you, when you desire change and you want um, to have a, a sort of very different looking career. So it was, it was putting the wheels in motion, I think on, and for me, I was, I was quite clear, actually quite click, quickly that I did want to set my stall out um, for a new and, and different career moving forward. And I was really keen to embrace um, how sort of fulfilling and meaningful my cricket career had been to me and, and to my life and really replicate that or even, you know, get excited about creating something as if not more meaningful and fulfilling in, in the work that I do sort of day to day and week to week. So that sort of shift in mindset, that change of direction, which had been forced upon me, it did start to put the wheels in motion to some quite, I think, sort of creative and, and innovative thinking in regards to what I wanted my future to look like moving ahead. What was it that informed that thinking, though? You know, the, the, they're big words, aren't they? Meaningful and fulfilling. And I'm, I, I pick up on, on words that you use, like um, the joy and the love of the game that you had. And, you know, the, for me, these are kind of joined up in some ways because there's something about helping, uh, helping either you or setting up something that is meaningful and fulfilling. And, you know, moving from the world of sport and having such a career, which was clearly meaningful, um, at, at, I guess it's sometimes more so than others uh, and fulfilling again, uh, sometimes more so than others. But then I, I wonder how did you, when you recreated yourself and that, that sort of reinvention, start piecing this together? Because there, again, for me, many, many listeners myself included, have been through that journey of trying to make sense or go again. And I'm wondering, you know, what, what was your process? What was your thoughts that you went through when beginning to get some clarity around this? I think a, a couple of things um, stand out. One is um, I had income protection through my, um, the end of my career, so the sort of the seriousness of my injury. So it didn't mean that I had to rush in or jump into something straight away. It actually allowed me to start to um, do some qualifications. So I was able to sort of put time and effort into um, how sort of best to use my time to equip myself with, with new skills or new understanding. And I think there was uh, that played a big part in the next sort of few years. I'd just come to finish off my um, elite level cricket coaching qualification. So I'd engage that at the back end of my playing career and I'm really sort of glad that I did because that was um, really sort of engaging the grey matter again um, at that time of my life, which I, I sort of reflect on and think I hadn't done a huge amount of that since leaving university. So there had been quite a gap, but doing my level four coaching certainly put the ball in motion for this feeding this interest and this desire to, to learn more and to add sort of new skills to, to the toolbox, as it were. Um, I know that another big impact was um, taking the step that I did to engage with a career coach um, and actually 
formally use them to almost sort of facilitate a process around me to reflect, um, to um, consider what options I had available to me, um, to also, I think what stood out was to understand um, sort of about myself in terms of my, what I say, my sort of character strengths and personality strengths as a person, as opposed to just a cricket player. And I think that really helped me start to evolve that new identity, as it were, from being a professional sportsman or a professional cricketer into somebody who wanted to, you know, continue to express themselves through their working life and their career in a way that they knew that sort of strong foundation was there because the energy I was getting from understanding more about myself, building my self-awareness, but also this sort of skill development, as it were, and understanding about what it would take to excel in different environments or, or whatever that would be. So the early years were still sort of a little bit hazy and a little um, unsure of exactly what was going to happen or how it would turn out. But there was definitely a feeling of um, sort of positive momentum and, and sort of direction and purpose, which I think was so important for me at that particular moment in time, because, you know, you, you as a professional sports person, everything is there. You know, you train incredibly hard. You, you meet up with your teammates. You get feedback on your performances. Everything is, is very sort of thorough and, and happens in a very detailed way. And actually, when that's taken away from you, that sort of that structure, that approach, that was something I started to drive myself, I would say. There also something for me, though, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but there's something about the sport environment being more in instantaneous. You know, the feedback's quicker and you get, you know, you get the results um, fed back to you more instantaneously. And therefore, you know, I, I'm, I'm playing again here that, correct me if I'm wrong, that actually when you went into your your reinvention and your, you know, re recreating a, your second career, um, that actually you didn't know, or you still don't know what the outcome will be, but you're feeling like the, the insights that you've gained from the career coach and others is, is sending you in the right direction. You know, that you're actually moving on a journey as, a, as opposed to, you know, what the outcome is yet. And I think something else that stands out, and this possibly links back to what I said about that sort of conversation that was that was held between Peter Such and myself and obviously all the other the teammates and the coaches yeah. at the time that um, getting out to people and networking and speaking to people and um, sort of building new relationships, engaging with pre previous people that I would have known, that was also an incredibly um, important part of those few years because that was me understanding the importance of networking, understanding the importance of that support structure around me. Um, and I think also what I realized is that the people that knew me and the people that um, wanted the best for me, they were going to challenge me as well in terms of realizing that if I'm going to push myself and I want to keep moving forward and I want to keep developing, it's not necessarily always going to be a smooth ride. There's going to be things I possibly need to find out about myself or parts of myself that I am going to need to look at and develop, um, you know, in quite a serious way to allow me to move forward. Um, so I think that was that played a role as well. You've set me up beautifully there, Will. Well, the question that really plays out in my mind is that environment about, you know, a, a a high-performing sport environment, which is quite on the edge in terms of getting feedback and getting challenged in order to help improvement. 
Now, you've said that some of your, your network and your friends and colleagues and people around you were up for challenging you when you moved on. What would be the biggest challenge that has been given to you since you've set on your sort of second career? Yeah, I think um, almost sort of, in, well, whether it's embracing the uncomfortable, you know, right. being able to put yourself into situations or yeah. um, contexts where it's not all going to be plain sailing. You know, it's going to be alien to you. It's going to be different. It's going to be potentially very difficult. The realisation of the, the willingness to do that and the benefit of it, I think, is is something that I've become sort of, yeah, very aware of. I think as the, the, the sort of the, the combination of the, the networking and, and yeah. the, um, the importance of that, the development of new and very different sort of types of skills, because obviously my cover drive and my um, dab suite, we're not going to come in quite as useful. I haven't actually picked up a bat since the day I retired. So I put that sort of skill set to one side and I wanted to start to build and develop and, and start to finesse, I guess, a, a new set of skills um, that would lay, lay sort of a good foundation for the future. Um, and I guess so many of those skills related to um, the ability to um, build relationships and connect with people and understand um, what's going on for people, whether that was individuals or teams, um, whether clients are sort of across sort of business or sports. And what I started to realize was that variety was, was really key for me. It was the ability to take lessons from potentially one environment and transfer them over into another. And actually that sort of breadth of, of different things was becoming a real fuel for me and, and became a real sort of, um, it gave me a lot of energy to keep exploring that and keep developing it. And it's something that I've realized I purposely want to look for variety in the work that I do, but also in terms of the skills that I want to um, sort of co continue to develop, it's a range of skills that will equip me to work with people one-to-one, -one, but also with sort of teams and groups, and then also, you know, with, with large audiences as well. So it sort of feels like a, it's begun to feel like a very exciting and, and um, yeah, incredibly inspiring place to be I guess to, yeah. to have this to look forward to and feel that a foundation has been set where I that purpose and direction feels very right for me I think most importantly. Well for me it also plays into that idea of you continuing to be curious and inquisitive you know by exploring new places but also being able to swap and share it just sounds you know it kind of plays into that um, key attribute that you have and well yep. I, I'm also um curious I guess is to really understand and you've touched on this but I'm going to throw it back to you again is you know what what do you feel has been your greatest learning through your cricketing career that, that has that you can use here and now in your um in your new business or in your business I think yeah that that word learning I think is the one that's coming into my mind I think I was always a, a sort of sponge for information and, and knowledge as a, as a cricketer and as a sports person. I guess the, the ability to take that learning and those insights and turn them into action would be something I think that I've really um, sort of taken forward with me. I think before I might have been someone who wouldn't say learn for the sake of learning, but maybe it sort of went in and it got absorbed and it ended up, you know, creating more thinking, whereas actually... I think the ability to act on what, you, what you've learned or, or act on what you feel is right, 
Um, I think part of that is born out of confidence to, to go and do it and just go and give it a go. Um, and I think that's something that I've embraced in recent years in terms of the, the sort of the it's sort of been fortunate with the breadth of experiences and the variety of work that I've done. Uh, again, sort of creating that snowball effect is the, the sort of the, the taking action and then reflecting on what that action was and then using that experience to build for, for future, you know, opportunities moving forward. Great. And I, I picked up on the insight to action, which I just really like because I think it's for me, it resonates through our conversations that, and, and many of the people I've spoken to within sport around the idea of, you know, it, it, you don't really improve unless you take action. You know, you've got to change behavior. You've got to do something with, with the coaching or the support or the new knowledge, don't you, to bring it to life and, and get it wrong to then get it right or to get it right and improve on it, isn't it? So I really like that insight to action idea. Uh, and well, you know, you mentioned earlier on about obviously um, the performance catalyst and the business that you're developing. You've also mentioned about one of the key principles around clarity. Can you tell me a bit more around the sort of the work you're doing now and um, and some of the other threads that you kind of call on? Yeah, I think with with clarity in particular, it's this sort of understanding that quite often we get too close to our own problems. So it's that sort of seeing the wood for the trees, I think, and that's where the sort of the thinking around performance catalysts has, has sort of grown in recent years. And it's this, this benefit, I guess, of a, a different lens or a different perspective. Um, what's so important, I think, through that is objectivity in terms of that outside voice or outside influence. Um, so, yeah, as I said the line earlier, it's hard to get clarity all on your own. I think that's so important in terms of the people you've got around you, the people there, as, I've, as we've spoken about, not just to support you, but to challenge you as well. Um, but I think there's also a, what I've realized recently, and, and with regards to the clients that I'm working with at the moment, there is a humility that is needed to expose yourself to new or different thinking. So people that would have conversations with us, there's, there's an understanding on their part that they do need to sort of be willing to go in a different direction or be willing possibly to hear things they don't want to hear. So again, it relates, I think, to in the work that we do now, it's sort of facilitating a process, whether it's with an individual or whether it's with a team or possibly um, sort of organizational level or cultural level, it's understanding what requirements need to sort of be in place to make facilitating that process um, successful. Um, so again, it's, it sort of feeds into the variety of um, really fortunate to do back, um, do work back in sport, but also across business and actually more recently in education as well, supporting directors of sports at schools and sports departments. Um, so I genuinely love the ability to take lessons across different sort of industries and sectors and use that as this sort of continued um, sort of fuel for moving forward. Is there any one lesson do you think that those environments can learn from one another? You know, in terms of you spent a big career in, in, in sport. Is there any one lesson we could summarize it? And I know this is it's not as simple as that, but is there anything you would capture in one word and sort of say, look, I really think business can learn from sport or sport can learn from business? I think it I think for me it, it would always come back to self-awareness and self-knowledge. I think it, it genuinely, you know, your ability to um, start to um, hold the mirror up and, and look in the mirror at yourself and start to question what you're doing and why you're doing it. I think then um, 
engaging other people around you, whoever that might be, to aid that process. I think that's um, such a key sort of foundation, such a key pillar to start from. So I would always go back to that as the starting place. And I think, obviously, big similarities between the two, between sport and business, because that's your, your sort of rock um, to move forward from, is how I would see it. Well, well, you've given me a real strong sense of, again, you know, that idea of um, creating meaningful environments and helping people, you know, become a better version of themselves. You've, you've gone on that journey. Um, I'm going to ask you a couple of quick fire questions, if I may, just to try and see if we can add a little bit more value to, to the guys that are listening in. Um, and, and then, you know, we'll come to an end. But I'm really keen to just sort of explore with you. You know, you sound like you've read a lot. You mentioned how you were a sponge as a, as a, a player um, and even more so now into your business and your curiosity. Are there any books that you would recommend to the listeners that would maybe pique their interest or help them on their journey that have actually been of real influence to you? Yeah, I think um, two or three stand out. I think one that I read during that time when I was um, retiring from sport, one really stands out that's called Working Identity. It's got quite a catchy title. It's called Unconventional Strategies for Reinventing Your Career. Um, the lady who wrote it is a lady called Hermania Ibarra. Um, and I think that for me, yeah, this sort of understanding of, of wearing different hats and trying different hats on, if you're in a, a sort of phase of, of moving forward and doing something different, that's something that really stood out. And I think there's the lovely sort of chapters in there around the psychology of, of big change and dealing mm. with big change as well. So that was, that was one that I thought um, stood out. I think another one from a few years back that I, that I really do reflect on a lot and think about a lot is um, simply called The Brain That Changes Itself. Um, it's by okay. a gentleman called Norman Doidge. And it's it's all around plasticity. So again, this sort of dealing with change and it's more about how the brain can change. So sort of neuroplasticity. And for me, that was, I think reading that book was almost this sort of permission to go for it and to really go for my, my next career beyond sort of cricket and sports. So I really sort of made a strong link between those two and, and they really sort of stood out in terms of aiding my change and aiding my, as we talked about a little bit earlier, the sort of the reinvention um, so the brain that changes itself, I, I sort of can highly recommend. Um, and then one more recently that I read a few years ago is called Sudden Influence, um, How Spontaneous Events Shape Our Lives. Um, and I actually came across that book because I read about it in an article in the newspaper. I think Matthew Syed had actually quoted the book and I bought the book off reading that article. Um, and again, it's, it's a fascinating read. The reason he was writing about it was that he was giving an example, a sort of story, I think, about Andy Murray. Um, and Andy was, I think, as a teenager, so sort of 14, 15 years old, he went to Spain to go and uh, do a training camp uh, down there. And one of the boys that was similar to his age was Rafa Nadal at the time. And he had a chat with Rafa Nadal and he um, was in conversation with him. And I think he asked Rafa Nadal, he said, who's your hitting partner at the moment? And Rafa Nadal, I think, said that one of his hitting partners was the number one player in the world at the time. And obviously, they were very young, only 14, 15 years old. And in that moment, I think something clicked, obviously, for Andy Murray. This is the sort of spontaneity thing. Um, and he picked up the phone later that day. And he basically, from what I gathered from the article, he said to his mother, I'm moving to Spain. 
you know, I, I need to take myself to a different environment. I need to be somewhere that will allow me to um, sort of reach my potential and, and get the best out of myself. Um, so it's, yeah, it was a fascinating sort of these moments really can sort of happen, but also it's our ability, I think, as people in the roles that sort of um, as, as coaches and mentors, that ability to try and create these moments for other people as well. So the skills involved or the, the tools you might want to draw on. Um, and I think that, again, sudden influence was really quite an eye opener for me in terms of um, what's possible when you're working with people and, and sort of genuinely what's the difference that you can make to where they're at currently in their, in their lives, sort of what's holding them back, where do they really want to, want to be or want to go. Um, so again, that was a, a, a sort of another nice link to build on the other ones that really sort of opened my eyes to, to what's possible. What a great little story there. And I just love the idea again of those, the word that's come to my mind is those sort of pivotal moments, but actually the roles that you play in them, i.e. we do at one side, but also in, in creating them, but also you have to capture them. You know, and I think that that the story where you're talking about Peter Such talking to you about the spinning in the car park kind of stuff was a moment for you which you you captured didn't you and you took forward and I just think we all have them don't we but we've also got to notice them and capture them and or create them as, as helpers so it's a it's a really fascinating I think part. With, with the capturing comes the reflecting doesn't it so yeah. the ability to look back no matter how long it it sort of was ago to really drill down into that moment or, or what it meant and I think skillful reflection is something so key to any performer you know wanting to to move their their performance levels forward yeah well and, and lastly just to add to that probably also taking action because again without the skillful reflection and then without the action it doesn't mean anything does it and again you've taken the action or your experience and look Andy Murray picked up the phone and moved didn't he he actually acted on it which is there's a little model in there we can create oh look at that isn't it? copyright it look at that <laughs> no, these things fall out of the conversation so really 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 great um well you've worked in a performance environment i.e a performance sport i also think we create performance environments for ourselves around us and i'm curious as to know a little bit about you know how do you prepare yourself now both physically and mentally to be the best you can be each day yeah, I think um, certainly through sort of periods through my sporting career and then recent years, just this, the, the fascination for me is around this sort of mind-body connection. And right. for me particularly, um, especially in the last 12 months during lockdown, yeah, the sort of exercise and eating well and sleeping and recovering is, has been such an important part of me feeling sort of fresh and feeling um, ready to keep sort of yeah, keep working hard and keep moving forwards. Um, and actually, I, I do sort of reflect on my, my cricket career because when I was a player, I would have been definitely said to myself, the sports that I want to play when I stopped playing cricket would have been tennis and golf. And actually, my, my hip injury and, and for various other reasons, they've not been possible. I would never have thought I would end up doing the sports that I've been doing in recent years, which has turned out to be um, swimming and cycling and, and obviously two <laughs> non-ball related sports um, but for me those th those two forms of exercise especially in the last sort of four or five years um, particularly the cycling only in the last 12 months have really created I think a sort of first and foremost a sort of healthy thinking space for me yeah I, I found it really um, important to create that time sort of across my week regularly 
and really sort of um, uh, sort of carve out that time on a regular basis, um, two or three times a week, every week. And, and even with a young family, I've really looked to prioritize that, um, particularly during lockdown. I think that's when it was the opportunity to really sort of address some of these um, these things around sort of lifestyle and, and um, things that relate into that. And that's where I think with the cycling particularly, I found it really sort of liberating experience, being able to get out on the bike and, and listen to podcasts or, um, you know, just use it as a, a way to unwind from the week or even set the week up if, if I'm able to get out sort of early in the week and just found so many sort of multiple different sort of positives out of doing them that it's really then, yeah, allowed sort of, for so many other good things to sort of hang off them, I think. So to keep me in sort of a, a physical and mentally um, sort of healthy place. So I think that the, yeah, the exercise has played a really key part. I love the connection between the kind of well-being aspect of what you've mentioned there and how it's really helped you and your well-being. Yet it's also really linked to your performance as a both professionally in your work, but also personally within your family and you know I think it's really important nowadays more so than ever how we can make that connection and you also use the mind body kind of connection which I just think is such a um a lovely parallel which we can take from the sporting world into the business world in terms of how well we are physically actually impacts on us how we perform mentally so uh, again a shining example there of, of bringing things together yeah and I think we we started with family didn't we at the beginning of the podcast and I think it would be very apt to end with that because my family is everything to me and, and really sort of the, the time spent in the last 12 months with them. I'm very fortunate to have a five-year-old son and a two-and-a-half-year-old daughter. And, and it's been quality time that we've got together. And, and it's been a, an incredible experience to see so much of them um, so often. And, and I think that's, yeah, it's played into, for me, sort of a, quite a magical time seeing them grow up. And, and now that they're getting to an age where they're running lots and they're exercising and they're, they're taking to some of these sort of sports that we've spoken about. It's, it's a really exciting time um, for me as a, as a parent, first and foremost. And well, what, what advice would you give to them? You know, there's a standard old question about what, what advice might you give to a teenage version of yourself, but what advice would you give to your kids um, given the journey that you've had? Yeah, I think, um, I think, expressing themselves would be something I'd love to love to sort of see and, and to, to allow I think that sort of whatever talents gifts they end up having it'll be a sort of a, a freedom of thought and a freedom of mind to be able to express what, whatever that is um, and that's something that I sort of hold pretty dear um, and I think that's where yeah it, it's sort of coming full circle for me slightly because I get so much joy out of just literally watching my children run down the road, just sort of seeing them move athletically um, sort of down the street or across the park. Those are some of the, the moments, some of the most sort of simple things in life for me are capturing those moments and really enjoying and celebrating them. And it's sort of very special to be able to see that. And, and yeah, it's been amazing for me in, in recent months, especially. I've got just two more quick sort of questions, though. And again, that's related to that in a sense of actually, you know, you, you've shared um, a number of people along the way who have influenced you. Uh, and this is, might be a bit of an unfair question, but are there any of any individuals throughout your career to date that really stand out for you uh, amongst the many that you go, gosh, that was a real pivotal 
point or a pivotal conversation that really stuck with me more than ever? And, and if so, what was it about them and what they did? Yeah, I think two, two come to mind, my father and my wife, um, right. I would say the two. My father, um, mainly because he's been such a sort of beacon of strength for us as a family. Sadly, my mother passed away um, just over 15 years ago and, and being such a close knit family. Um, I think seeing him in recent years has been incredible in terms of the strength that he's given all of us, um, his ability to reinvent himself as well. I think right. that's been something that I've reflected on, um, obviously, since my mother passed away. And in recent months, his sort of um, outlook towards the pandemic and has been quite inspirational from that point of view. And, and that's why I sort of, yeah, I want to point him out as a real sort of beacon of strength for us as a family. And and particularly me um, individually, I guess, being the youngest of four, and um, we speak regularly, we check in on, on sort of Zoom, so he can see the grandchildren mm -hmm. on a regular basis. And yeah, I think just um, some of the things that he's done in recent years, that's given him this sort of energy for life and this enthusiasm, you know, to stay connected with people and to do things that, that bring him sort of joy and happiness. I think that's been a, a really um, sort of key lesson for me. Um, and then with my wife as well, just, you know, we um, got two beautiful children, but I think we've, we've shown we're very different in terms of our character and personalities, but we, we've genuinely sort of celebrated our differences. And, and I think that's been really benef beneficial for me in terms of the reflection I've done on my, on my cricket and my sporting career, but also as we sort of specialize in working and transforming teams, it's the realization that um, these differences are important in the way mm. that we, we think and the way that we see things and the way that we help each other with our blind spots. Um, so yeah, my, my wife, Lindy, is, is someone who you know, I, I owe a lot to and, and particularly in terms of we met soon after my cricket career came to an end. So in terms of that sort of purpose and direction and, and energy for life, I feel very thankful to have now a sort of very happy family life. And that's what's most important to me. Brilliant. Uh, this, and there's just so many key principles and messages dropping out of your story, which I'll, I'll come to in a second. But ju just, um, you know, when you, you've shared your story here, you've given us a real insight into both your, um, you know, your sporting career, but also through into running your own business now and the, the difference that you hope to make in other people's both lives and their organisations. Whose sports story might you be interested in, in finding out a little bit more about and, and why? I think... I've probably been impacted by a, a TV series I watched a few weeks ago called The Last Dance. And, and sort of quite typically, I think I'm about six months behind everyone else because <laughs> everyone else was raving about it last year. But I think the person, you're probably thinking, is he going to say uh, Michael Jordan here? But the coach of that team, Phil Jackson, I think is someone I'd like to spend a bit of time with. Um, I've never really had an interest in basketball but the series I thought was phenomenal. Um, and I had read one of his books and I'm, I'm starting another one now. And I just get a feeling in terms of sort of being ahead of his time and embracing things like mindfulness in the way that he wanted to get the best out of the team. But I also think the way that he managed some of the and sort of coached some of the personalities in that team and, and made um, certain individuals realize that individual brilliance can only take you so far. And actually, when operating and, and working with a team, it is about trying to, you know, um, get more than the sum of the parts in order to be to be successful. So I think I'd like to, 
yeah, understand a bit more about his story. I'll obviously read a few books, but to spend a bit of time picking his brains, um, considerable success, I think, with two NBA franchises over the years. Um, I'd be really interested just to, yeah, have a conversation. Think a bit just, deeper. <laughs> yeah, sit, sit around the supper table with a glass of wine and just, yeah, yeah hear some of his reflections on some of the, the catalytic moments maybe that, that um, impressed his coaching philosophy and the reason sort of he did what he did in the way that he approached his coaching career he's also very tall so we'd be able to probably look each other eye to eye from the, the, the look on the tv series he's <laughs> up in the six seven six eight probably oh well and, and and that's when you surprised me when you say that you've never really been into your basketball thinking that actually that might have been a sport that would have been absolutely down your your street yeah, you th you'd think basketball or rowing, wouldn't you? I know at university, the, the, the tables when I arrived, they were probably scratching their heads as yes. to why I wasn't signing up for a rowing boat or the basketball team. But no, they, they were never, never on my uh, important to-do list. Yeah. Well, well, you know, we could go on. But, uh, you know, for me, what's really beginning to drop out is that real... Um, that real thirst for learning, actually, but also the the idea around um, self awareness and people coming through, you know, and and it's it, it, um it always strikes me when you know individuals come through the sporting world where there's that idea of being quite selfish or the need to really be quite self centered and look after oneself, especially in a, in a kind of an individual sport, you know, and I class that sometimes in cricket as being quite an individual sport, but actually mm. what I'm also hearing here is that your real interest in team development and how the some of the parts as you say come together to 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 really make it both not only in a sporting context a business one but also in a family context you know and that's the principles are all the same for me you know and it's just lovely to hear you sort of jump across the very the varying environments and, and draw those together and there's also a really strong strong theme in terms of our conversation here around um reinventing yourself and actually how how in life both in career um uh, you know in the family as we move through and we have kids and so on we're, we're constantly reinventing and I, lo and I loved your story there about how your dad's had to reinvent himself and actually he's come through that really positively and again I think there's some really lovely principles um in that uh, and lastly the bit that jumps out for me is the the value that you've put on going out there and speaking to people and seeing that as a real um performance benefit uh, and and the value of actually seeing things um getting other people to help you see uh see their world through different eyes you know and i like the idea when you said about holding the mirror up and the roles that people can play and the value it is to us as well so you know i i only hope today is is given you the opportunity to share your story which has been magic for me to hear and i've really valued it but it, in some ways i've also held the mirror up for you a little bit so it's given you that opportunity so i just wanted to really thank you for your open your honesty and sharing your journey and i do hope it does resonate with some or many of our listeners. And Will, should anybody wish to find out a bit more about you, you know, the business, the work that you're doing, how might they be able to find out, you know, or make contact with you? Yeah, I'm, I'm on sort of a, and across a lot of the social media channels. So anything that's sort of performance catalyst related or, or um, where it's too long a word, it's just cat at the end, performance cat. So um, be welcome to hear from anyone across, um, obviously on Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, um, but my email very simply is will at performancecatalyst.uk as well. So 
I'd be really interested to hear if, if there's any feedback off the podcast. I've really enjoyed it, Dave. Thank you very much indeed um, for the conversation and for the questions. And yeah, yeah giving me giving me more to reflect on and learn from and take action on. I think I'll yeah. move forward with. Well, well, as always, I, I'm in the privileged seat here because I get to hear your story and learn from you. So, and I, there's many gems that I've taken away. So, really appreciate you giving up the time as well and being, as I say, open and honest, and and hopefully sort of pricking a few people's thoughts and ideas along the way. So, uh, thanks again, uh, and let's keep in touch. And hopefully, you can come back on at a future stage and tell us how performance calculus have evolved and the further learnings you've picked up on the way. But you know, I'd thanks again. Be. Take care. Look after yourself. Thanks, Dave. Bye bye. Well, what a great conversation that was with Will Jefferson. It was a proper insight into the journey from being a performance sports person right the way through to being a business owner and chief executive, currently now the uh, the founder and CEO of Performance Catalyst, his company. Now, there's many points that really stood out for me, uh, as there always is, and uh, I really want to just point to two or three of those. His real thirst for learning came through loud and clear, and that really sort of set him on his way right the way through his career in sport and as a cricketer, and how he continued to uh, sort of play uh, older than his age range and actually how he really managed himself through some really difficult and challenging circumstances and environments. Um, and that thirst for learning really transferred for me through his career, as I say, into him running his own business and kind of reinventing himself. Uh, and that, that's a key point for me, really, because um, at different ages and different stages of his career in his life, that concept of reinvention uh, and looking for a, a new identity and actually embracing that was, was phenomenal and a, a really a joy to see uh, how he embraced that and called on some of the key principles that he picked up on throughout his life. Which leads me to the third point really, which was uh, around pivotal moments. Uh, I was blown away by uh, his reflections on a very simple conversation he had uh, in a car park and how that really had a, a huge impact both kind of in the moment but also has sort of transcended through his career into his confidence as a, a cricketer later on in his uh, cricketing days and then through to performance as a, a business owner. Now as always I'd like to just pose a couple of questions which uh, I'd like you to ponder on. There were many things that dropped out of the, the conversation today. Reflect back a little bit around those ideas of pivotal moments. What pivotal moments um, have you had in your life that have either helped you or hindered you? And what might you value changing now to perform at a higher level or gain further happiness or uh, work towards whatever your success measure is? And secondly, what skills and behaviours have you developed in one environment, like Will did in cricket, that you can then transfer and call on in another, now in his business days? Because for me, sport and that sporting environment whether at a performance level or even at a sort of a beginner recreational grassroots level can provide so many opportunities and avenues for developing skills and behaviors that can transfer to other environments so therefore what might you want to do differently or what might you like to change or do more of so a couple of big questions there to consider now i just want to bring to your attention now that this is coming up to the anniversary of the sports stories podcast uh, it's our first birthday, which is fantastic, and uh, it's a year, obviously, since our first podcast guest, which was Gordon Lord. We've had, a, a, obviously, quite a few different guests from varying backgrounds, and I would just like to encourage you to maybe reflect back, go back to some that you've listened to before, or if you really value, um, you know, pick up somebody you've not listened to, maybe in a different context or a different environment. Uh, for me, throughout all of these stories, there's always a, a gem or a nugget or something that will just 
pique your interest that could really help you. So there's values in everybody's stories. And that's really the, the premise and the drive for uh, the Sports Stories podcast. Now, as it's the uh, the anniversary, I'd also like to bring to your attention uh, the launch of the new website uh, at www.sportsstories247.com. And on our new website, it'll just be a great deal easier to uh, access some of the development program and resources that we have available to you, um, which are development kind of resources, um, but also often have a, a kind of a sport flavor or a sport theme to them. So uh, they're calling on the principles that we've picked up throughout all of the conversations that we've had on the, on the podcast. There's also a fabulous book club or a book list from all the recommendations from my previous guests in terms of how they've really used these different resources to inspire them, motivate them, drive them in their career through through the highs and the lows. So it's a fabulous book list, uh, very eclectic, lots of different kind of uh, approaches uh, and viewpoints. So I, I really encourage you to, to dive in there on the, the book club on the website. Uh, and lastly, the coaching and mentoring offer. Uh, as, as it's the anniversary, I'm, I'm beginning to launch the uh, the coaching and mentoring office where there'll be fantastic opportunities to either work with myself looking to really impact on your leadership and coaching influence and impact and also there is the opportunity to work with a number of my colleagues who also have a, a background and a steeped in great experience working in the performance sport and business and leadership kind of environment also able to support you on the journey through to maximizing your leadership and coaching impact so um I'd like to obviously just finish off from today's episode, thanking my uh, my guest today, Will Jefferson. Will was a, a great guest, really, as always, gave some real great insights in his kind of key, humble, honest and open kind of uh, viewpoint. Um, I'd also like to give a, a really big thanks out to all of my guests over the last year. Uh, they've really made the uh, Sports Stories podcast as it is, giving some real great gems and insights into their lives, which in turn will help many others. And the uh, the podcast has really grown, uh, evolved, and matured over the year. And we're really excited about looking into the, the year ahead and what we can do in terms of evolving the, the podcast conversations and the, the surrounding resources and services as well to really help you through sort of inspiration, education and helping you transform in your life. Uh, so once again, a big thanks to all of those guys. Um, just to to wrap up then, you know, please continue to uh, offer the feedback, the comments. They really help me drive the podcast forward. Uh, we're doing this for you, the listeners. So please let us know what you think. Uh, and also let us know into some of the insights that you've had and some of the success stories because they are fabulous to hear and, and really keep spurring us on to providing you with more great content. So uh, keep that coming. You can drop me a note through the usual social media channels on LinkedIn, uh, Twitter, and on Facebook. And also just uh, drop me a line through the website, which is, as I said before, www.sportstories247.com. And on that note, I just wish you a really great week. Please consider the questions that I posed before. Keep reflecting on the insights that you take and moving them through to action. Uh, And I look forward to you joining me again for the uh, Sports Stories podcast next week. Until then, take care and I'll see you again soon.